kind of gives us in capsule form what James is going to develop in the rest of the book. Because he tells us, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 21 through the end of chapter 2, how to be quick to hear. He tells us in chapter 3 how to be slow to speak. That's that classic chapter about the tongue. The tongue is like that little fire that sets the forest ablaze. And then in chapters 4 and into chapter 5, he talks about how to be slow to anger. And you remember chapter 4 begins with the words, what is the source of quarrels and conflict among you? What is the source of that anger and conflict? So this is really the outline of the book. And first of all, James is going to expand on what it means to be quick to hear. And we want to look at the first part of that this morning in chapter 1, verses 21 to 25, in a section I have entitled, How to Listen to a Sermon. A preacher has been called someone who talks in other people's sleep. If you have perfect attendance over the course of a year, you have sat here for 52 hours. If you wanted to squeeze that into one sitting, that would be a whole week of eight-hour days plus 12 hours of overtime on the weekend. So you would sit here for Monday through Friday, eight hours, and then six hours on Saturday and six hours on Sunday. That's how much you would have listened to in the course of a year. Of course, that's not counting small groups, Bible studies. Somebody told me this morning they listened to my sermons a second time on the iPod. Listen to the radio, you may go to a men's retreat, a Christian camp, your personal Bible study. In fact, if you listen for just four hours a week, that's equivalent to one month of eight-hour days over the course of a year. That's a lot of listening. And James, in this passage, wants to tell us how to listen, how to really hear the Word of God. And we're going to look at these verses in four parts. The preparation, the obligation, the illustration, and the application. First of all, the preparation. And I would suggest this is something a lot of us don't know much about. The preparation. So oftentimes, we plunge into God's Word without any preparation. And we wonder why we don't get anything out of it. You may have a quiet time. You may come before God and say, God, i got ten minutes before class. Hurry up and speak to me. Talk fast, God. I'm in a hurry. And there's no preparation of our heart. Or you may come in here on Sunday morning. You have been living selfishly all week. You have been making every one of your choices based on what you want. And you dress nice and you paint on a smile and you come in here and you sit down and you wonder why your heart is cold and indifferent. I wonder why Cindy's over there crying and I'm yawning. 
Well, I would suggest it's because you have made no preparation to receive the Word of God. Look at verse 21. James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now notice that word implanted. That's a farming term. He's using the same analogy Jesus used in the parable of the sower. The seed is the word of God. The soil is your heart. And before you plant seed, you have to first go through the field and you have to clear it out. You have to cut down the trees. You have to remove the stumps. You have to lift out the boulders. Remove the limbs. And then you have to go back through that field. And you have to plow that field. And churn up the soil. And make it receptive to the seed. And James is telling us the same is true of your heart. To prepare your heart, you have to clear it and you have to plow it. First of all, he tells you you've got to clear it. If you look at verse 21, he says that before you receive the word, you must first be putting aside some things. That is, clearing the field. This Greek verb that's translated putting aside is used many times in the New Testament with various analogies because this is such an important issue in our lives. We're to be putting things out of our lives to prepare ourselves to receive the truth of God's Word. This verb is used in Ephesians 4.22 where it says, lay aside, same verb, lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. He uses this verb in Colossians 3.8. Put them all aside. Here's the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self. What's the analogy? You're a new man. You need to go in your old closet and throw out the old clothes and put on the new clothes. We talked at Easter about Lazarus. He came out of the tomb still wrapped in his grave clothes. He needed to have those put off to put on the new. Same verb is used in Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What does a serious runner do? He gets as light as he can get. You don't see serious runners with trench coats and backpacks. He puts those things off. And even the clothes he wears are very lightweight because he doesn't want any weight. He doesn't want any encumbrance when he runs. You're to put those off if you're serious about running the race. And then in 1 Peter 2.1, it says, Therefore, putting aside, same verb, 
all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Any of you got a baby? When that baby wants milk? I mean, you can't come to that baby and say, how about some opera tickets? No, when they want milk, they're pushing everything else aside and they want the milk. And Peter says we're to be the same way with the Word of God. We're to push everything else aside because we've got a one-track mind. We want the Word of God. So this idea of putting aside is used throughout the New Testament with various analogies. James uses it here as a farming analogy. And he says in order to receive the Word of God implanted, you first have to cultivate your heart. You have to walk through the field of your heart like a farmer. And you need to have a chainsaw in one hand and a wheelbarrow in the other. You need to be cutting down some trees, some big weeds in your field. And then you need to be picking up those things that don't belong there, that are going to cause the harvest to be limited. And you need to take those things and put them in that wheelbarrow and get them out of your heart. You say, well, what are we to put aside? Well, look in verse 21. James says, all filthiness. That's a word that means obvious sins. In your heart, you have some obvious sins. You've got some trees. You've got some boulders. You've got some stumps. You've got some branches. You say, well, I'm not sure what they are. Then ask your neighbor. He can see them. The farmer in the next field can see these things. They're right there in your life. They're obvious. They need to be dealt with. I have a dogwood tree. It's the only really pretty tree in my house, in my yard right now because we've taken our landscape out. But but this dogwood tree is very beautiful. At one time, I cut it down. It had kind of, half of it was dead, so I cut it off right at the ground. And guess what happened? Up came a sprout because the root was still there. Sometimes in our lives, we come along and we say, I'm going to cut that tree down, and we cut it down, but you know what? We leave the roots. We leave the stump there. And he's saying you've got to get all the filthiness out. You've got to cut down the tree. You've got to dig up the stumps. We did our landscape over because it's about 13 years old came along and cut all the trees down in our landscape. Guess what? We couldn't plant because we still got stumps there. And the stumps had to be pulled out in order to plant. James says you need to walk through your heart and you need to remove some things. If, the, if you're going to receive the Word of God implanted in your heart, you've got to remove some things. And he starts with the obvious things. All filthiness. Now, don't let me confuse you, but this word filthiness is an interesting word. It's the Greek word puparia, and it comes from the root rupos. Rupos means, and is often used in the first century, of earwax. A couple months ago, I couldn't hear very well. And and everybody was saying, what did you say? Because I thought I was talking loud and I was talking quiet. I couldn't hear myself preach. 
So I went to Dr. Martin, and Dr. Martin set me down, and he's got a little, uh, tiny little video camera, and he put it in my ear and showed what was in my ear up on the monitor. And he says, says, you see all that green, slimy, yellowy, ugly stuff? That's earwax. And then he has a little Hoover vacuum cleaner, and he takes it down in your ear, and he sucks it out, and, and I'm watching on the video as he's sucking all that wax out. And he gets all the wax out, and I come out of his office, and I'm like, wow, I can hear. There are birds singing. It's springtime. So you may not be hearing the Word of God because you've got too much wax in your ear. You need to remove that. Or in the analogy of farming, we need to clear the field of our heart to be ready to receive. But that's not all. Notice what he says beyond that. All filthiness, that's the obvious stuff. That's the stuff your neighbor can see. And then he says, and all that remains of wickedness, and that word wickedness refers to evil intent. I first deal with the evil actions, and then I come back through the field of my heart and I deal with the evil desires. How much? He says, all that remains, every trace. See, the good farmer would walk through his field and he would remove the trees and the boulders and the stumps and the limbs the obvious things. Then he would walk back through and he would remove the stones and the sticks and he would pull up the weeds. Those are the things your neighbor doesn't necessarily see from a distance. That's your intent. That's your attitude. That's your motives. That's the selfishness, the pride, the envy. You see, James is saying, I need to examine my heart. And I need to confess those things that are wrong in my life. And maybe there's an area in your life that God's already told you to do. And you're resistant. Guess what? He's not going to tell you something new to do if you haven't done what He's already told you to do. Some of us have a a tree of rebellion in our lives and we're, we're planting around it all the time because we don't want to deal with that tree because we love that tree. And God's saying, clear the field. The obvious stuff, the action sins, and the motives that are hidden, that only God sees and we see in our lives. And then when we've done that, we're to plow it. Now, I'm no farmer. I've never planted anything that's, that I've eaten. Never. All I've ever planted is grass. And I've become an expert because I've had several houses and, and you can't grow grass around here. But I have thrown a lot of grass seed on the ground. But I have learned this. You cannot just go out in Missouri with hard clay and throw down grass seed and expect it to grow. What do you need to do? You need to rake it, plow it. You need to break it up so that the soil is receptive to the seed. How do you do that in your heart? Look at verse 21 again. He says, right before receive the word, he says, in humility, 
receive the word. What's humility? Humility is brokenness. Using the same analogy, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 4.3, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Let me ask you a question that only you can answer this morning. Is your heart broken? Is it gentle? Is it pliable? Is it teachable? Is it soft? Is it submissive? See, I have to break up the pride in my life. The two words I hated most from my kids were these. I know. I know. Well, the only reason you know is because I taught you. So don't tell me you know. I know. I already know that. How do you think God feels when we say, I know. I know. I've heard that before. I know. What causes us to say that? Our pride. It's our pride. We need to break up our pride. So we're not saying, I know. We're saying, God, teach me because I don't know. And even what I think I know, I don't really know. And then when I've cleared and plowed my heart, then it says I can receive. I can receive the word. You know, some of you are very kind and you give me compliments, but I've often told you that when you give me a compliment, it says more about your heart than it does about my message. Because there are certain times when you come in here and it feels like God is speaking directly to you. Why is that? Because you're receiving God's word. Your heart is right. You have done some clearing. You have done some plowing. Or maybe God has done that through the trials of your life and your heart is receptive to the seed of God's word. Because you see, the word of God is not casual reading. It's not surface material. What he says here is it is deep into you, it is implanted in you, and it takes root in you, and it grows in you, and it produces fruit in you. That's the Word of God. It doesn't sit on the surface. It has to come down into your heart, and to come down into your heart, that heart has to be cleared, and that heart has to be plowed. In fact, James says, if you notice, it is able to save your souls. Wow. This is soul food. It is more powerful than anything else on this planet. The Bible says it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is able to save your souls. And interestingly, that phrase is a present participle. What that means, it's it's an ongoing process. The Bible teaches that salvation is a past event in your life. It's also a present event in your life. And it's also a future event in your life. You were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. The Bible says you were saved 
It says, presently work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it says in Romans chapter 13, your salvation is nearer now than when you believed. So it's past, present, and future. You were saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin. And one day, you will be saved from the presence of sin in your life. And the Word of God is what sustains you through that whole process. So we need to be careful that we really hear it. Now when you listen to a sermon, you've got two options. Only two options. You can reject it, or you can receive it. It says of the crowd stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears. Wow. Who was in that crowd? Saul, who was later Paul. But at that point in his life, he was covering his ears because he didn't want to hear the truth of God that Stephen was speaking. It warns us in 2 Timothy 4.4 that the time will come when people will turn away their ears from the truth. When you hear a message, you have two choices. One is you can turn your ears away from the truth and cover them up so that you don't hear what God is saying. You can reject the truth. But there's a second option. And I hope it's the option you desire. I do. I want to be like Mary, about whom it says, she was seated at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. I want to be like Cornelius, who said to Peter, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I want to be like the Bereans, who received the word with great eagerness, examining the the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Are you a rejecter or a receiver? You see, that's largely dependent on your preparation. James says, in a farming analogy, you need to clear the field of your heart. And you need to plow your pride into humility. Second part of this passage is the obligation. Look at verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For James' real listening is not measured by how many notes you take. 
Listen to me. Listening for James is not measured by how many notes you take. It's measured by how many steps you take. James says the proof is in the doing. Charles Spurgeon used to hold tent meetings and move around. One time he was having a tent meetings in a location. It was his last night to preach, and a fellow was there taking up the tent pegs after the sermon, and a guy ran up late and said to the guy taking out the tent pegs, is the sermon done? And the guy taking out the tent pegs turned to him and said, no, it still has to be done. James would love that answer. Because James says we're to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That word hearers is an interesting word. It's the word from which we get our word auditor. An auditor is someone who takes a class but not for credit. I audited one class in college. It was great. I sat in the class, relaxed. I daydreamed most of the time. I didn't write any papers. I didn't take any tests. I had no responsibility. I had no homework. I just listened. Can I say something that might offend you? Some of you are auditing Christianity. You're just listening. There's no homework. There's no application to your life. You're just auditing. You're just listening. And if that offends you, I hope it does, because James says you're deceiving yourselves. You know what the deception is? You have talked yourself into believing that knowing the Word is the same as obeying the Word. You have talked yourself into believing that because you know the verses and because you know the stories and because you know the doctrines, And because you can pass a test in the Bible, that that means you will pass a test with God. James says, not that that knowledge is useless. He says that knowledge is deceptive. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, Is that you? Listen. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Then a chapter later, he says this. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, did you notice something? 
Jesus didn't say, you love me and you'll be my friend if you hear what I say. He didn't say, you need to know it. He didn't say, you need to write it down. He said, you need to keep it. You need to do it. And just to make it clear in contrast, Jesus said in John 14, 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words. You see, if you are hearing and not doing, I hope I offend you today. Because you may be deceiving me, but that really doesn't matter. James says you are deceiving yourself, and that's a big problem. John said it this way in 1 John 2, 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. You see, the measure of your character is not in your words. It's not in your claims. It's not in your knowledge. It's in your conduct. In fact, here in James chapter 1, If you look again at verse 22, James doesn't just say, do the word. He makes the sentence a little more complicated because he wants to make a point. And his point is, prove yourself to be a doer of the word. What's the difference? I have helped build two houses but I'm not a builder. Some of you have taught a time or two, but you're not a teacher. There's a big difference between fighting in a war and being a soldier. Here he says you're to be a doer. A doer is a person who is characterized by doing. God has not called you to be an auditor. God has called you to be a doer of his word. Too many people mark their Bibles, but their Bibles don't mark them. The obligation is be a doer of the word. And then thirdly, is the illustration. And James is a master with illustrations. And in verses 23 to 25, he gives an illustration. In the first part, he gives an illustration of a forgetful hearer. Notice verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. There are two ways to know what you look like. One is a photograph and the other is a mirror. A photograph shows us what we want to see. A mirror shows us who we really are. You see, we look at a picture and we say, that's a good picture when it flatters us. 
Some of you have never seen a good picture of yourself. In fact, you may see a bunch of pictures and say, they didn't turn out very good. Well, the pictures turned out fine. It's you that didn't turn out very good. Like the lady who uh, went to the photographer and he said, ma'am, trust me, I'll, I'll do you justice. And she said, I didn't come here for justice. I came here for mercy. Well, James doesn't say that the Word of God is a photo. He says the Word of God is a mirror. And it shows you exactly what you are. I don't know about you, but one of the first things I do in the morning is I walk in and I look in the mirror. I squint in the mirror. And I see this puffy-eyed, bed-raggled wreck of humanity. We, we go in there and we see our morning face. We don't want anybody else to see that face. You ladies have your hair rolled up and pins sticking out. It looks like you're receiving signals from outer space. You guys have uh, stubs and sleep in your eye. You got wrinkles from the pillow. If you got hair, it's standing straight out to one side. You look in the mirror and James says, can you imagine looking in the mirror and seeing the problem and then walking away and doing nothing about it? You ever get somewhere, guys, and you're, you're, somebody says to you, you got some shaving cream behind your ear. What happened? You didn't look very closely in the mirror. Why you ladies are always going in the bathroom. You know, you don't have to go to the bathroom that much. You've got to look in the mirror. Make sure that your makeup, which is intended to be horizontal, hasn't turned vertical on you. Back in, when I was leading the college uh, group, I was late to a, a, a gathering and, and uh, I was in such a hurry that I shaved really fast and I cut myself all over my face. So I, I grabbed some toilet paper and tore it into little pieces and stuck it on all the little bloody spots. So I had like a dozen little pieces of tissue with blood spots in the middle stuck on my face. Well, I was in such a hurry, I didn't go back to the mirror. I just went to the event and I walk in and everybody goes, what's that on your face? Okay, I, I looked in the mirror, saw a problem, but didn't take care of it. I could go on with these because I'm bad. But, but back when we uh, were across, across the lobby, we had two services at that time every Sunday. And I remember after preaching in the early service, I went into the restroom and looked in the mirror to make sure everything was okay, and I noticed that my zipper was down. That's not good, you know, when you're thinking, I wonder how many people notice that. James has given us an illustration of a guy who looks in the mirror, sees he's got a problem, and walks away without fixing it. 
And James is saying that some of us are like that as Christians. We look in the Word. We hear a message. We get a good look at ourselves. We see the things that we need to do. And we walk away. And we forget about it. That's the illustration of the forgetful hearer. And then he switches gears to an illustration of an effectual doer in verse 25. And he says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This person looks intently in the mirror. There's two ways to look at a mirror. You can glance or you can really look intently. This guy looks intently. And he sees the problem. He sees what he needs to do, and he abides by it. And James says he is not a forgetful hearer. He is a doer. Now, it may surprise you that he says here that you look into the law of liberty. That's what he's calling the Word of God. Sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? A law is something that gives us rules and regulations. Liberty is being free. How could a law make us free? Well, that's really the paradox of the Word of God. You you understand it in other other places. If if I say to you, I want to play basketball this afternoon, but I don't like the lines and I don't like the goals and I don't like all that stuff, let's just play basketball without that. You say, well, we're not playing basketball. Let's play tennis, but I don't like the net. And I don't like the lines because I don't hit very straight. So let's play tennis without any net and any lines. That's absurd. You see, it's the lines and the net that free us to play the game. And the Word of God, God gives us these boundaries. And these boundaries set us free. In fact, it's just the opposite of the way we think. We think freedom is running out and doing whatever we want. But the Bible tells us, In John chapter 8 and verse 34, everyone who commits sin is the what? Slave of sin. When you go out and do whatever you want, you become a slave to that sin and you cannot stop. In contrast to that, the truth shall set you free and you shall be free indeed. You see, freedom is found in coming to Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ and obeying Jesus Christ because then I have the freedom to do what I could never do before, what God desires for me. So he gives us the preparation, the obligation, the illustration, and then he gives us the application. And for that, I just want you to look at the end of verse 25. And really, I might say that the the application really carries on to the end of this chapter, but we're going to save that for next time. But I want you to catch this at the end of verse 25. He says, this man will be blessed in what he does. Did you get that? I have people come to me after a message. Some of you will probably do it today. You come to me and you say, Man, I was really blessed by that message. Well, if James heard that, if you said that to James, he would say, no, you're not. 
You weren't blessed by hearing the message. You are blessed by doing the message. Come to me and tell me last week's message blessed you because you applied it all through the week. That's what James is saying. You don't get blessed by just hearing it, writing it down, taking good notes, memorizing it. You're blessed by doing it, applying it to your lives. If I told you I bought Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding book and I read it every night. In fact, I'm in a small group discussion about it. I go faithfully. I've even memorized portions of it that were really good. And you say, well, Dan, you don't look any different. Well, that's because I don't do it. Or I, I, I got P90X, learned all the songs. I wrote down Tony Horton's exhortations. Good stuff. Have you done it? No. I don't do it. I don't do it. What's the application? If bodybuilding requires doing it, this is a book about spiritual building. And we got to do it. One of the most convicting things Jesus ever said, and he said a lot, was in Luke chapter 6. When he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Why do you so flippantly say I'm your Lord? Because what's a Lord? He's a master. He's supreme. He's in control. Why do you call me Lord? And don't do what I say. And then he gives a little illustration that most of us have confused. He says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And everyone who hears and doesn't act on them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. You see, Jesus is talking there about hearing the word of God and acting on it, obeying it, living it out. And he says, when you do that, you are the person who builds your house, builds your life on the rock, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you build your house on shifting sand. And he says, when the waters come, the rain comes and the waters rise, your house will collapse. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And James is saying, if you have talked yourself into hearing the word and not doing it, you are deceiving yourself. And some of us need a wake-up call today to realize that the way we're thinking is not only deceiving other people, it's deceiving us. And I would challenge you today to have an honest appraisal before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to go into my heart. I need to do some clearing out.
I need to do some plowing because I want your word to be implanted in my heart bearing the fruit that only you can produce for your glory. I don't want to be an auditor of the word of God. I want to be a doer. As God continues to speak to you today, I ask you to stand as we close our service in praise and prayer.